Imagine, if you can, that it's January the 1st, and you've made the decision that for 2018, you're going to get into better shape. Now, you'll notice I say imagine, because for some of us at this point now in the new year, the idea of getting in better shape is only a hypothetical situation. We've kind of lost the New Year's resolution punch. But pretend that we're all on the same page and we're all going to commit to getting in better shape the 1st of January of this year. What is it that you actually start to do? If, if you're aspiring to get into better shape this year, at a practical level, what do you do? How does that work? Especially if you're not from like a fitness buff sort of a background. I think for most of us, we can appreciate that, you know, there's some part diet, some part exercise when it comes to a greater degree of fitness. But even then, at a practical level, like how do you, how do you change things to, to get into better shape? I mean, from a diet perspective, do you, uh, do you just start to cut out sweets and desserts, which admittedly is like impossible to do? Um, do you go on some eight-week challenge and start, you know, registering online and buying the food and doing the whole bit? Do you all of a sudden make a commitment to become, you know, gluten-free or, you know, lactose-free or dairy-free or fructose-free or sucrose-free or Netflix-free or, I suppose that's another New Year's resolution, but, uh, you know, well, how, do you, how do you all of a sudden decide what to do? Similarly, on the exercise side, you just throw a pair of running shoes on and head out the door in minus 20 degree cold? Or do you buy equipment? Do you buy a treadmill or do you buy a, a bike or an elliptical or a Bowflex or all of the above? You know, do you join something, a, 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 a club or a gym or, you know, the local public pool? Do you sign up for a Zumba class or yoga or... At a practical level, you know, if you decide that you want to get in better shape, what in reality do you start doing? Gang, in this starting point launch to 2018 around here at Southridge, that's essentially the question that we want to consider from a spiritual perspective. And I'm sure it's even more confusing to a lot of us, especially for those of us who are new and are just giving us, just giving us a shot this morning, uh, because from a spiritual perspective, things are a lot more intangible and a lot more elusive. And, you know, almost all of us would perceive ourselves not to be experts in this subject. And so there can be a lot more confusion around what you actually do when you decide that you want to experience a greater degree of spirituality in your life. You want to experience a greater degree of spiritual growth. How does that actually happen? And practically speaking, what do you, what do you need to do? That's what we're going to address this morning. Now, admittedly, uh, we're boiling down a lifelong journey that is complicated and in many ways mysterious uh, into as simple a 30-minute conversation as we possibly can. So, you know, extend a bit of grace if you can, uh, but appreciate that to, to start this at the very beginning, I think we need to pay attention to, first of all, what Jesus invited people into. Because when Jesus walked around and inspired people to spiritual growth, um, he described it very specifically, in a, in a very specific way. Look, for example, at what he says in Mark chapter 2. In verse 14, it says, As Jesus walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. You see what Jesus said to him there? Follow me 
and be my disciple. Many times throughout the biographical accounts of Jesus, that's how it described Jesus' invitation to people. Either to follow me or come be my disciple or a combination of both. And they mean the same thing. So when Jesus is saying, come be my disciple, the more modern day translation of that word disciple would probably be apprentice. An apprentice often gets interpreted as student, but I think they're very different. A student learns things, an apprentice studies or learns under somebody, not just to learn, but in order to live like that somebody under whom they're learning. An apprentice learns of in order to live like. And that's an important distinction for us to make because in our society, it feels like we don't really track with or value apprenticeship in the same way as Jesus did in his age. When you think about, you know, growth and development from our, in our context today, um, it's highly recognized in an academic sense. You know, to, to grow and develop is to, to gain more knowledge or to gain more education, to go from your high school diploma to a college de degree or diploma, university degree, master's, ultimately, you know, to that PhD, to that doctorate level. And that's really how we esteem development. We don't really esteem it from an apprenticeship perspective. We esteem academia more than apprenticeship in our society at large. And I fear that sometimes we take that approach to the idea of spiritual growth as well. And we assume that, you know, the more academically advanced you can become or the more theoretically knowledgeable you can get, the better, which isn't necessarily the case. In fact, Jesus often ran into conflict with the people who were most academically trained and most, in that sense, theoretically knowledgeable about spirituality. Jesus invited people into something very different called an apprenticeship. And we've got to not only understand that, but we've got to value that to the degree that Jesus did if we're going to legitimately embark on a journey of spiritual growth. So for starters, if you're taking notes and you're new to this today, appreciate that spiritual growth requires responding to Jesus' invitation, to accepting his call to apprenticeship, to follow him and be his disciple, to learn of him in order to live like him. Second thing that we've got to clarify once we've agreed to do that is how that process actually happens. And in many cases, when it comes to uh, physical fitness and getting in better shape and New Year's resolutions and things, you know, the, the onus is on our kind of stick on our grit and our determination and our drive and, you know, our, our commitment. To the, to the task. And those things certainly matter from a spiritual perspective, but there's a delineating ingredient when it comes to spiritual growth that is deal-breakingly critical for us to understand. It's the activity of God in our lives. The activity of God in our lives. Look at what it says in a passage in 2 Peter chapter 1, which goes on after this to describe spiritual growth at some length, it says in verse 3, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. By his divine power, God enables the spiritual growth process to happen. And so if we're wondering you know, how this works and what we need to do, first things first, we need to appreciate the role that God wants to play. 
And in fact, we need to appreciate that not just in the spiritual growth process, but in the whole message and purpose of Jesus in general. Because I think sometimes, especially if we're outside of faith and we never grew up in this sort of background, we can assume that this Jesus character came to earth and was a good moral teacher, taught people how to live, invited people, if we understand, invited people to follow him, but then kind of looks at us with disappointment for the ways that we haven't lived up to his standard. And then when we become followers of his, looks at, it, looks at us with continued disappointment for the ways in which we mess up because we can't live his way on our own. And nothing could be further from the vision that God had when he first created people. The Bible says, in his image and empowered people by his spiritual strength and presence to live the way that he intended. Now, we've sabotaged that over the years and generations by our independence and rebellion, what the Bible refers to as sin. But the message of Jesus is all about how he enables us to reclaim that dynamic by not just coming to earth to live and model a life and teach on it, but ultimately to give up his life as a sacrifice for our sin and then even cooler to rise from the dead so that his spiritual life would be alive today and available to indwell the lives of people who've been forgiven by him and who have committed to live a life of following him as his disciple. The long and short of it is that Jesus' living spirit intends to empower people to live his way and empower the spiritual growth process. We've said many times around here that the Christian life is literally the life of Jesus Christ himself lived in and through a person. And so if you're curious as to how spiritual growth happens from a biblical perspective, understand that it involves relying on Jesus' power as much as it involves responding to his invitation. Yes, it involves responding and committing to become a disciple and apprentice under him, but it also involves relying on his very spiritual presence and power in which to do it. Third point of entry-level clarification that I want us to uh, just kind of review or, or camp out on for a moment is when we understand the invitation of Jesus and understand the process of how spiritual growth can take place. We need to also understand the point of it all, kind of the whole goal of spiritual growth from God's perspective. Because I think a lot of us, when it comes to spiritual growth, you know, we are curious or interested in it because of the way it would help us find our true self or the way we could feel more connected with God or experience enlightenment or, you know, these, these kinds of things. There's all kinds of reasons why people want to, what they call, grow spiritually. But from a biblical perspective, there is one reason why you grow spiritually. There is one outcome that God has in mind. And if you think back to what Jesus invites us into, to apprentice under him, to learn of him in order to live more like him, that outcome should be obvious because the outcome is the resemblance of the likeness of Jesus himself in our lives. Look at what it says in Galatians chapter 5. It says there that the fruit of the Spirit of God, meaning the effect or the outworking of God's activity in our lives, is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice that all of these things are character 
attributes. What God's spirit does in a person is transforms them from the inside out to generate and yield certain character attributes. And not just any character attributes, specifically relational ones. Character attributes that positively affect other people. That's the work that God wants to do in us and what he defines as spiritual growth. So if we're in a place today and we're feeling like we might be interested in spiritual growth because we want to have a better sleep at night, we want to deal with our anxiety or we want to get our our finances in order, or we want to live with more meaning and purpose, or we want to be a better parent, or we want our marriage to hold up. You know, those are all things that God cares about. But those are all byproducts of his end goal of spiritual growth in making us a certain kind of person. Because as he makes us that certain kind of person, all of those other things work out. And we need to be real clear, not just about Jesus' invitation and not just about the power of God that resources the spiritual growth process, but as well, we need to appreciate that spiritual growth requires reflecting more of Jesus' likeness. That is the end goal of the process. If you're visiting today or you're giving this starting point morning a shot, and you've always wondered, you know, what you would do if you decided you wanted to grow spiritually. I hope you can appreciate that from the Bible's perspective, there's a very kind of specific description of how this works. There's a very specific invitation, a very specific way that it happens for a very specific outcome. And when it comes to the biblical definition of spiritual growth from a Christian perspective, it's nothing more and in a sense nothing less than responding to Jesus' invitation and relying on his power to reflect more of Jesus' likeness in our lives. That's what it means to embark on the journey of growing spiritually. Take a look. As another example of that passage I referred to earlier in 2 Peter chapter 1, where it said that God has given us everything that we need to live this way because of his power within us, it goes on in verse 5 to say this. It says, make every effort then to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection Love Again, another great description of the progression and the development of character attributes in a person as God is working within us. It's another description of spiritual growth. Notice though, after though, it says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are legitimate evidences of living as a disciple. But it says, whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. In this passage that describes the spiritual growth process, again, kind of very concretely and very clearly, it says that to live that way is to grow spiritually. To not live that way, especially if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, is to essentially fail to live out the definition of spiritual growth, to, to be involved in something other than what following Jesus looks like. Followers of Jesus, I heard someone once said, follow Jesus, and they aspire to learn of him and become like him, and in the power that he provides, they increasingly take on his character. That, gang, is the definition and process of spiritual growth. Nothing more, nothing less. Give you a description of 
kind of what this looks like or, or you know, how, how this kind of expresses itself practically or simply. Uh, I'll share something a little bit from my own life. Uh, I've known a number of friends over the last number of years that have had words for the year, almost like a New Year's resolution of sorts. They've had a word for the year, either as a family or personally, and that kind of dis- describes a goal or an aspiration of what they want to become over time. And, and uh, so last year, our family was talking about this, and we decided we were going to embark on this adventure of words for the year, only we tried to be cooler and more hip. This was not my idea, obviously. But we had hashtags for the year. So we all had hashtags for the year in our family, five different hashtags for five different people in our family. Only the twist in our family was that we didn't decide on them. The rest of the family chose the hashtag for you. So you had this hashtag assigned to you. And I know those of you who know me probably have a hashtag that you would like to assign to me. You're not allowed to shout it out today at your location. But I'll share with you, last year, my family decided that my hashtag was going to be hashtag chill. Hashtag chill, which was kind of a combination of getting less angry at times and being more patient at times. I think that was the combination of what hashtag chill meant. And so I embarked on 2017 with hashtag chill as my word for the year. Well, a few days ago, we were kind of debriefing this as a family and we were kind of unpacking each other's hashtags and how things worked. And uh, during that conversation, one of my boys said, Dad, You've done really well with that this year. I can see a lot of improvement. And in fact, I'll let you choose a different hashtag or we can choose a different hashtag for you for this year because you've kind of, you've kind of grown in that. Only later that night, Becky was uh, reading with uh, my daughter Adeline and uh, they, they came across this term easily angered and she wondered what that was. And Becky explained to her what that meant. And she looked at her and she said, oh, she said, mom, dad really needs to work on that. (laughs) If you're here today and wondering what spiritual growth is or what it looks like or how it happens, when a child can point to improvement or change in a character attribute that is reflective of the person of Jesus, that's spiritual growth. And when they can't or when they see you failing to become like that, that's not spiritual growth. You can decide for yourself whether I've been growing spiritually or not this year, but from, a, from an example or from a clarity perspective, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the spiritual growth process. Again, nothing more and nothing less. Now, if that still interests you based on what you came here to explore this morning, I just want to make a, a, a few other quick disclaimers before we try to get practical on how we can, on how we can start doing this tomorrow. Um, the, the, the first disclaimer is to appreciate that when you make the decision to embark on a journey of spiritual growth, that is not the only spiritual decision you'll ever make. In fact, the decision to become a disciple of Jesus is essentially the same decision that you will need to repeat over and over and over and over again through the rest of the course of your life if you're going to continue on a spiritual growth journey. Look at what it says in Colossians chapter 2. It says, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, Or let him be your leader by deciding to apprentice under him. You must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. A life of spiritual growth isn't a one-shot deal. It's essentially making the same decision over and over and over again to let Jesus be your leader and to aspire to learn of him, to live like him, trust in his power to transform you from the inside out to become more like him in his character. 
It's again and again and again the same decision, not just a one-shot deal. Second thing is, in as much as it requires the power of God to transform us and depends on that primarily, um, that is not a passive role then on our part in the process. It's not just like I've decided to be a Jesus follower, so God, have your way, and I'm just going to twiddle my thumbs and you know, live the course of my life, life while you do the changing. We've got to be actively involved. Look at what it says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. It says there, train yourself to be godly because physical fitness has some value, but spiritual fitness is valuable in every way, making you fit both today and forever. The verse says, you've got to train yourself to be godly. You've got to train yourself, engage yourself, involve yourself, do things in the process of developing spiritual fitness, in the journey and process of spiritual growth. It's not something that we can exclusively rely on God for, although it's something that we primarily rely on God for. It depends on God primarily, but it depends on our active involvement as well. Third clarification I want to provide is just to help all of us appreciate, and this applies not just for people who are new and trying to figure this out, but especially people who've been journeying in the spiritual growth process for some time. I hope that you can appreciate that the spiritual growth process is far from linear. It's far from steady and consistent. And there are many times in the process, and I say this for people who've been following Jesus for some time as well, so that we're not so discouraged because you know, sometimes God is doing his most growth when we can feel his presence and activity the least. Sometimes he's moving us to the next level when we feel like we're starting from scratch. Sometimes he's accelerating us spiritually forward the most when it actually feels like we're going backwards. And to give us a sense of how to understand that better, if you really want to unpack that mysterious, uh, kind of com complicated dynamic of spiritual growth, uh, I would encourage you to leverage a resource that we've made available around here many times called The Critical Journey. It's a book that we've uh, shared with different groups and individuals over the years that really helps outline some of the stages, some of the predictable stages and needs in a lifetime of spiritual growth and some of what happens in those times of challenge or crisis when God seems really far away. Because even though he seems far away, sometimes he's doing the most growth uh, in, those, in those seasons. So appreciate that it's not a linear process, okay? Having said that, I want to get to what we can actually do if we understand that spiritual growth is responding to Jesus' invitation and relying on Jesus' power in order to reflect more of Jesus' likeness in our lives. What is it that we actually do then to embark on that journey? Around here, again, in the interest of simplicity, I would summarize it into two types of engagements. Two types of engagements. So if you're taking notes, the first type is to engage in activities together. This is the easier, the easier part, I would say, because this is the part that you can journey with all of us, the hundreds and hundreds of us across all of our Southridge locations. This is the stuff that we do together as a church family. Um, basically, there are three things that we would encourage you to engage in around here for your spiritual growth. We've, get, we've developed these things based on our understanding of how the Bible lays out spiritual growth, especially how first century Christians and the early church uh, were living out their faith. We've kind of patterned it after them. 
So the first one would involve what we call gathering for events, doing what you're doing today and assembling together to learn more about God and what a life of faith is all about. The second is to group for relationships, to huddle up in more bite-sized chunks where in a life-on-life kind of a way you can share your life with others and, you know, get questions answered and receive encouragement and support. And the third is to give back to those in need, which around here we specifically do through the anchor causes of each of our locations. The focused initiatives of compassion and justice that make and serve a specific societal need in each of the... uh, parts of Niagara where our Southridge locations are found. Now, each of these three things that we invite people into, we do so both because we see that pattern in the New Testament of the Bible. We see that's how Christians grew back then and understand that's how they ought to grow today. But more importantly, when you, when you look at how growth happens, even from a societal perspective, you look at a college or university and how they develop people, they'll often invite people into large group learning environments, small group seminars, and then practical co-ops or work terms. And those three dynamics together over time really help to develop a person. We've experienced the same thing around here, that when you engage in those three things, especially over time, together, they really work well together to stimulate your spiritual growth. So we want to invite you to uh, join us as a church as we engage in those activities together, but at the same time, appreciate that spiritual growth also requires something individually from each of us. And so on top of engaging in activities together, we'd also encourage you to engage in what we call practices personally. Practices personally, where you would do things that can express and explore and experience faith on your own yourself. Again, I'm going to provide you three kinds. The first kind are what I'll call spiritual practices. These are things like prayer or Bible reading or reflection or even meditation solitude, fasting, all the kinds of things that are described to grow us closer uh, in our relationship with God, spiritual practices. Another kind I would describe would be what I'd call relational practices. These are things that you need uh, other people to help you do. So, you know, whether it's get a mentor or Bible study, which requires a, a group to really happen well, or Uh, encouragement or accountability or confession. You need other people to do those sort of things, but those practices are spiritual growth stimulating for each of us. And then the third kind I would describe are societal practices, ways in which you can give of yourself to make the world a better place through service, through generosity, through hospitality or charity, things like that. That's the kind of stuff that we're talking about. And, and, To help you kind of figure this out even more, because I know that we're really kind of hydroplaning over this, I want to suggest two real practical resources that you can leverage even this afternoon. One is a web-based resource called Right Now Media that you can access through our Southridge website, southridgechurch.ca slash right now. And right now media, you'll see the image on the screen, um, is kind of like a Netflix for Christian resources. And you can log in, create your own kind of custom information and needs and dynamics, and it will suggest certain resources that can be helpful for you, given where you're at and certain ways in which you feel God might want you to grow next, Uh, to be able to explore and pursue that will help personally stimulate your spiritual growth. So give Right Now Media a try. The other is a book that our teaching pastor, Mike Krause, was sharing 
uh, online last week called Liturgy of the Ordinary. Liturgy of the Ordinary, which essentially are practices for normal people who may not understand how to do this sort of stuff or where to go or how to begin um, to try to make sense of what we could practically do to experience a greater degree of spiritual stimulation in our lives. So at a very practical level, once we understand, you know, what the spiritual growth process looks like and requires, these are the kinds of things that we can commit to starting today. We can commit to engaging in activities together and engaging in some activities, some practices personally. As we do that, though, I hope that you won't miss the greater point of what I wanted to address this morning. And that is what spiritual growth actually is from the Bible's perspective. Because if we lose sight of what that is by getting lost in the detail and the everyday of the practices and the activities, we fundamentally miss the point of what what God wants to do in our lives. I was reminded of that this week when I was talking to a friend who was really struggling because they have a daughter who they described as, you know, really kind of a a spiritual superstar, kind of really engaged spiritually, who was having an adverse effect on one of their other daughters and really turning them off things like faith and church and spirituality. And I asked them what they were doing. They said, well, their spiritual superstar daughter wasn't treating them very well. They were being kind of harsh and cruel and kind of exclusive to them. And that was turning them off, obviously. And uh, finally, I asked them, I said, you know, how, how, would you, how would you describe a spiritual superstar if this person is treating their siblings so, so terribly? And they said, well, they're just always reading their Bible and praying and, you know, meditating on scripture and listening to worship music and engaged in worship and going to church and, you know, doing these activities and whatnot. And I said, you know, it sounds like, it sounds like you're confusing the means to the end with the end. It sounds like you've all of a sudden made the means to the end, the activities and the practices that we can engage in personally and collectively, like you've made those things the end. And you've defined spirituality as the degree to which you engage in those things, as opposed to defining the end according to how God defines the end. And that's the likeness of Jesus, not someone who's harsh and cruel and has adverse impact to their sibling, to their loved ones. And I say that so that we don't make that mistake today. Because I'm sure there are some of us who are hesitant to even embark on the spiritual growth process because of the model that we've seen in people who've confused the means with the end. People who are really religiously active, but who aren't really bearing the character of Jesus all that much in their life and aren't showing a whole lot of growth. For you, don't confuse the means and the end in a way that turns you off the opportunity for God to do extraordinary things in your life. And at the same time, as we do, as we involve ourselves in the spiritual growth process, let's not confuse the means to the end and get lost in the activity and miss out on who God ultimately wants to make us as a greater and greater reflection of Jesus. This 2018, at the dawn of a new year, God is inviting us all individually and together into an incredible adventure. He's inviting us into the journey of spiritual growth together with him and with each other. But specifically, he's inviting us to respond to Jesus' invitation 
and rely on Jesus' power in order that personally and together as a community, we can reflect more of Jesus' likeness to each other and to the world around us. And we are super pumped as a church to be on that adventure and hope that especially if you've joined us for this starting point morning today to maybe give God a shot, that you would join us in that adventure this year as well. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we're just thankful for the fresh start of a new year and how it reminds us of the fresh chance we get with you moment by moment, day by day. Not through anything that we deserved or could ever earn, but through your grace in our lives and the love that you've shown us through the person and work of Jesus. God, I pray that you would give us the clarity today that we need to embark on a legitimate journey of spiritual growth with you. As many of us understand things differently, I pray that you'd help us to understand your vision and your invitation for spiritual growth and how it works. And that you would inspire each of us to take practical steps, even this week, to grow closer to you in that way. Help us as a church community to encourage and nurture one another's spiritual growth, to cheer each other on in the character transformation that ultimately you want to do. And God, I pray that we'd be quick to give you all the credit as you grow us and change us into your image, that we can enjoy more of you through each other and that the world can enjoy more of you through our lives personally and together as a community that's banded together to be these kind of people. So thanks in advance that you want to make us that. We look forward to watching you work this year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.